Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we stand in your presence today. Jesus, it is because of you that we are here. Lord, we take a moment to sit in awe of who you are. You are beautiful. Jesus, you are worthy. You are lovely. Lord, we admit that in this hour, we need you more than ever. We need your truth, your love, your mercy, your compassion, your judgment, your righteousness, your holiness. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Lord, I pray for this hour that you would word my mouth to say your words and only your words. Jesus, it's only you who can convict hearts, that can heal hearts, that can set the captives free. So we depend on you today. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. I'm going to move this. Thank you. Well, good morning, new community. I'm glad to see everybody here today. I'm grateful to be up here. Um, I'm thankful for our pastors who actually trust me to be up here. You need to know that this is a scary place to stand. Not that I'm afraid of you. It's scary in the sense that I am accountable before God for the words that I speak. And so I pray and I need you to pray for me that what I say today will bring him glory. We're coming out of the, well, actually, we're still in the Christmas season, and we just celebrated with our families, and I pray you had a wonderful time. I know I did. We had <laughs> several meals um, and uh, over the course of three days, and, but uh, my wife and I, everyone came to our house, so we were grateful for that. Um, so my lovely wife could not be here. She's with our two youngest children who have kind of been battling colds and they've just not been doing too well. They're getting better, but she could not bring them here today. So I'm here with our older two. We have four kids and we are truly, truly blessed. Before I get into the message today, I do want to have a little fun with you. Um, the Christmas story is a beautiful story for me. And I would say every year that we come to this story, it becomes that much more real to me. It becomes that much more flesh to me. So you understand that God actually did something. God actually stepped into our existence. This is a fun question. If we could throw it up, a little Bible trivia. I love asking this question every year. <laughs> I just want to see how people answer it. 
So here we go. So I'm sure you're thinking now. You're thinking? Okay. The question, how many wise men came to the manger? How many wise men came to the manger? A, 12. B, 0. C, 3. D, the Bible does not say. So take just a few seconds and think about that, and then I'm going to ask if you believe, whichever you believe it is, I'll say A, and those who think it's A, you'll raise your hands, and so on, okay? (laughs) Well, you can look it up afterwards, but I just want to see what's on the, uh, just off of the top of your head, okay? Are we ready? All right. By show of hands, how many think it's A? Okay, nobody. That's all right. What about B? Okay, I see hands. What about C? Three. Uh, Yeah, yeah. What about D? The Bible does not say. Wow. Are you ready for the answer? The correct answer is B. Zero. How do I know that? And you can turn in your Bibles if you haven't. Matthew chapter 2. It's a bit of a trick question. But the wise men never came to the manger. They came to the house. And by the time they showed up, Jesus was about maybe almost two years old when they showed up. So this is in Matthew chapter 2. You can see it, it, it says a, a, a little note, when they came into the house where the child was. Okay, it's, I'm just having a little fun with you. <laughs> but I do want to challenge you, though. Get in those Bibles. I want you to know this story. I want you to know what it's about. Because as I mentioned earlier, this word took on flesh. This word stepped into real time. This was real. This is not a fairy tale. This happened. At least for those of us who call on Christ, that's what we're saying. Are we not? So, remember that for next year. Here's where we're going today. We've been living in this season of expectation that the king is coming. Christ came as a baby, grew up, lived, healed, ministered, showed the kingdom of God, died, and rose again. And for those of us who are believers, we say this is the truth. This is what we believe. This is real. And moving forward while we carry this hope, we still live with the expectation that the king is soon to return. Meaning just as Jesus came physically, he is returning physically. Literally, you will see him and touch him just as he left. That is the hope of the gospel. God came, stepped into our existence, did something that we could not do, 
ascended. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again. So when we come in these doors every Sunday, that's what we are testifying to. That hope. That truth. Not just that we're here to have a good time and sing a few songs and maybe we can smile tomorrow. We're saying we can smile tomorrow. We're saying we can hope for tomorrow because of what this Jesus did and what he's doing and what he will do. And in light of what Christ has done, and this is where we're going today, he has shown his faithfulness to us and he continues to show that faithfulness. But there's also a call for us. The question of, will we, followers of Christ, remain faithful to him? Will you and I remain faithful to him? So let's not make the mistake of thinking that because he has shown his grace and did what we could, what we could not do, that he doesn't somehow call us to something. That we have no responsibility. No, we cannot save ourselves. You are right. But yet, we look to him. We recognize that only he could save us. So not only do we benefit from his love, we are called to love him back. Two things, loving him back, one, is not optional for us, and it's not impossible. Loving Christ back with all of our hearts is not optional, and it is not impossible. Jesus said in John Chapter 14, and if you're taking notes, just mark this in your notes. John chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. He identifies, he's talking to his disciples, and he identifies those who love him. He says it this way, and he says it three times in three different ways. If you love me, keep my commandments. The one who keeps my commandments... That is the one who loves me. Which in that statement, you see the opposite. Well, what if I don't keep his commandments? It means I don't love him. This will be a challenging message today. Challenging to you and to me, to us as followers of Christ. This is a truth we continue to carry with us. But my focus today will not be pointing the finger and get you thinking, let me show you where you're messing up. What I want to focus on today is how do we love him? How do we remain faithful to Jesus? As I said, it's not optional. It's not impossible. 
And to do this, I'm going to utilize the birth narrative. I'm going to take certain instances from it and kind of use them as a metaphor today for how we do this. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, there's no condemnation. The words are up here. Amen. This is the New King James translation. If you have others, that's totally fine. Luke 1, and we're going to read verses 26 through 38. And let me get there. All right. Verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, excuse me, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. If you're taking notes, part one at least the first point I want you to capture. And the bigger question is, how do we as God's people remain faithful? First one, we've got to cherish this gospel truth. First point, we've got to cherish this gospel truth. We look at Mary, this young woman, she's probably maybe 13, 14, minding her own business. And then eternity steps into her world. This is exactly what the gospel does. We're not looking for it. We're doing our own thing. And God steps in and presents the truth. And Mary is blown away. Now, I'd be freaking out, too, if an angel just showed up. 
I mean, if you look throughout scripture, that's, angels just appear, you know, just boom, oh, huh, huh, you know. I, I, I'm, sur- I'm sure I would be afraid. But doesn't the gospel come to us that same way? We're not looking for it, we're not expecting it, yet God shows up on the scene and says, this is what I am initiating. This is gospel truth. Mary listens to the words of the angel. And if you hear her response in verse 38, she says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So when we are hit with the gospel truth, we have two options. We can ignore it, or we can hold it dear and put our everything on it. Do you have any idea what she was risking? She's betrothed, so she's engaged to Joseph. They haven't been together, and she's like, I'm going to have a baby What's Joseph going to think? Because this ain't his baby. And this is going to say to the community, you've been unfaithful. And there were strong consequences for infidelity. See, basically in that culture, you were engaged, practically almost married. And so all of these things are going through her mind. The same for us. If we are going to follow Christ, we're going to hold this gospel dear. We have to identify there will be risk. It will alter our existence. Everything we thought, what we are accustomed to doing, The gospel turns all of that over. And now Mary is submitting herself completely to the will of God. Because when we approach the gospel, there's only one response. You and I, to accept it, we have to deny ourselves. That's a hard thing to do. But this is exactly what Mary does. She doesn't talk about how she might be perceived, what impact this is going to have. She simply says, okay. But how could she do that if she is not captivated by the value of this message that has just been presented to her? How will we hold the word of God dear, the gospel dear, if we don't value it? What value are we placing on Jesus? Is he my everything? Or is he just an option? See, she's looking at the gospel. So you have to understand the Jewish people, they are expecting the Messiah. Years and years, they are waiting for this Messiah. And here's this young Jewish woman, and the angel comes to her. This is what God is doing. And he's doing it through you. Mary had to treasure that truth. That had to be real to her. 
example I was thinking about when uh, my wife and I, our, uh, our daughter Kayla, when she was coming. And obviously we were so excited. I know parents, you're having your first child and, you know, everything's so new. And I was excited about this new baby. And I'm thinking in my mind how this baby is going to change everything. This baby is going to alter our reality. We cannot do what we used to do anymore. (laughs) We cannot think how we used to think. We now have this new life that is dependent on us that we are called to protect and to guard and to cherish. Wow, that's a powerful responsibility. And I can think about how as my wife is, is coming more to term and it's like I'm helping her and it's like, you know, she's carrying this precious life and she can't carry this precious life any kind of way. This life is valuable, so we can't just do anything. There's a certain way she's got to walk, talk, think. And that's true of us as followers of Christ. If we take this gospel seriously, we're saying, this is so valuable. I can't carry this any kind of way. I can't treat this any kind of way. Same way, if, if, if I had a, a huge diamond ring in my hand, I was thinking about the movie Wally, if you've ever seen it. Um, and he, obviously, you can't, you know, planet Earth is a mess, it's, it's uninhabited. And he's digging through this robot, he's digging through rubble. He finds this ring, beautiful diamond ring, <laughs> in a case. He takes the ring, throws it away, <laughs> and keeps the case. Now, that's interesting to us because there's value placed on that ring. So for us, we look at that and say, no, no, wait, what are you doing? There's value. You can't, that thing is costly. You can't just treat that any kind of way. Give it to me. I can use it. So, how do we remain faithful? This first point, God's truth has got to be valuable to us. And it cannot be optional. I'll point you to another scripture here. I'll read it quickly. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Let me turn there. We're going to have you go through several verses today, but prayerfully I won't overload, overload you. Excuse me. And I believe it's up. This is King David. He says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. 
I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Verse 9. How can a young man or young woman cleanse their way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments, your word. I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This was sung by King David, who was not a perfect man. He made some terrible mistakes. And you hear his focus, his pursuit, or how he cherishes the word of God. The truth of God. And that's what he continues to hold in front of his view. To cherish the word of God so much, I, so much I've hidden it in my heart. So that I will not sin against you. Is God's word, is this gospel that valuable to us? That we come to it, and before we consult anything else, we say, God, what do you say? I love your truth that much that before I hear what the culture is saying, what people are saying, I want to know what you say. The value. I remember having a conversation with, I'll give this example, then I'll move on to point two. I remember having a conversation with a neighbor of mine, and we were talking about different things, and then he starts talking about, you know, some of his frustrations uh, with the Covenant Church, and he was disagreeing with the church's stance on homosexuality, gay marriage, that topic. And so he just kind of starts going on about why he, you know, he disagrees or his frustration. Um, and so we're talking and we're kind of debating. And I'm kind of challenging him and we're going back and forth. And I kind of asked him a question. I said, okay, well, you know, Doug, why, okay, well, why, do you, why do you hold your view? Why, why do you affirm this? Why, what's your perspective on this? And he starts talking about, you know, love. And he starts talking about his friendships and people he knows and uh, who are dear to him. And this is kind of the main focus of his conversation, and we're talking back and forth. And I said something to him, you know, Douglas, here's what I find interesting. In all of his dialogue, everything he was telling me, I wanted to know, what, 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 what does God say? I mean, I hear you talk about your friendships and people you know and people you love, and I don't discredit that. But I had to ask him, what, what, what about what God has said? 
Is this in the picture? I said, I find it interesting that your allegiance to your people, your friends, carries more weight than what God is saying. And I know I'm challenging some people today, but I want to use this example to say this about the value of God's word. Not just this topic, but anything in our lives, any area of our lives. Do I consult God first? For us as followers of Jesus, we don't start with our feelings. We don't start with what feels good to us. We don't start with what the culture says. We start with what has God said. What are you saying, God? Is this truth? And there are so many things we can talk about. So I'm not just harping on this, but I want, I want to get you thinking. Do I value your word so much, Lord, that I consult what you say? And that's what I search out before anything else, even my own feelings. I surrender to you, Lord. Our next text, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and this will actually just be very short, two verses. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1 through 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, should be wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Point number two. As we cherish this gospel truth, God's truth has also, it's also got to be our pursuit. Just like the wise men, they value this newborn king and they travel. We don't know how far they travel, but they travel to come see him. There's a pursuit in this Christian life. There is a forward progression toward Christ. We must actively pursue Christ and his kingdom. So first of all, we treasure this gospel and there's a pursuit. If you turn to Colossians chapter 3. And let me get there. For us as followers of Christ, we understand that we are being joined with Christ. In his death and resurrection, Paul says it this way, Colossians 3, if then you were raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. So you and I have died with Christ, which means just as Christ died taking our sins, as followers of Christ, we also die to self. But we're also raised 
with him. He says, if then, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, if you are in Christ, your life is not your own anymore. That's the hard truth, but it's a truth that we have got to allow to sink into the depths of our heart. It's not your life anymore. We've been bought at a price. So there's a pursuit. Seek what is above. Galatians 5 also talks about that. I said we'll we'll be looking at a few passages today. But there's a pursuit. So not only are we coming from sin, but there's a pursuit to righteousness. There's a pursuit of the new nature in Christ. It's not just putting off hatred. It's pursuing love. It's taking on mercy, taking on righteousness, taking on holiness. It's a new way of life. It's a new way of thinking. You are not your own. Galatians chapter 5. I don't know where my time is, but uh, I think we're moving all right. Galatians chapter 5. I can get there. Glad you're already there. One moment. Almost there. Another one of Paul's letters. We're talking about the pursuit now. The pursuit of righteousness, a resurrected life. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So our main theme, we're talking about being faithful to Christ. Paul talks about right here, here's how you do it. Because we can identify struggles and temptations we have and even things that annoy us. And we're like, why do I keep struggling with this? Why do I keep doing this? And here's Paul's answer. There is a pursuit of righteousness. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. So they're always warring. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's the pursuit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, those who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, Paul gives a list of all kinds of sins and maybe things on there. We can point, man, I struggle with that. Man, I deal with that. Man, that's me. But look at his answer. He doesn't just list these things and say, stop doing it, and that's it. He points to a greater pursuit. Yes, these are the works of the flesh, but this is what life in the spirit looks like. There's a pursuit. Love, joy, peace, self-control, patience. So if you're in here today and you struggle with your temper, if we're going to be faithful to Christ, the way to deal with that temper is not spending your day thinking, okay, I'm going to try not to be mad today. I'm going to try hard not to get upset today. No, no, no. Because you're not pursuing anything. The pursuit is because I am in Christ What has Christ called me to? I I recognize I struggle with this. This is real. So what has he called me to? Oh, he's called me to patience. That's your pursuit. That's your prayer. It's not, okay, God, help me not to be angry again. No, anger will present itself. That's in the next point. It will present itself. It will come. It's your pursuit. I, I, I recognize this anger. You call me to pursue patience. That's your prayer today. Lord, work on my patience today. Lord, I want to walk in your compassion today. If it's, if it's lust, if it's impure thought, God, you call me to have a pure mind. That's what life in you means. I'm pursuing you. That's what gives me the grace to leave this. Whatever that issue is. Whatever it is. What did God create? What did he call you to? That's what it means to be resurrected with Christ. Not only do you die to sin, but you are alive to Christ. His way, his thoughts. And that's what you rehearse. That's my challenge to you today. Whatever that is, think about what it is. You know what you struggle with. If the selfishness, what did he call me to? Well, he called me to be generous. That's your meditation when you're at work, when you're at school, whatever you're doing. That's what you're picking up. It's picking up his truth. That's your meditation, whatever it is. So there's a pursuit. There's a pursuit. And the final point. Turn to Matthew. We'll look at Matthew chapter 2 again. So, so far, Mary represents uh, cherishing, treasuring the word of God, cherishing this gospel. The wise men, they, they show us the pursuit of Christ. 
the resurrected life. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 3 through 7, and we'll jump to verses 13 through 16. When Herod, the king, heard this, so this is, the, you hear the wise men have just shown up. <laughs> king Herod is troubled. Any, any, any talk of a new king was a threat. A new ruler's in town? Oh, Herod didn't like that too much. We live in a culture that doesn't want to hear that either. I'll keep reading. And when he had gathered, so Herod was troubled, he and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, excuse me, of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. I'll read verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child. When you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Sounds legitimate, right? Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord came, appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, because the wise men did not return back to him, he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Is this gospel story real yet? Do you see what kind of a threat this was? So much so, Herod killed a bunch of babies trying to get to one. This is real. Point number three. In our pursuit of Christ, in our cherishing his words, his truth, make no mistake, there will be opposition. Our desire is to honor Christ with our lives in all that we say and do, but please know, that truth will be attacked. Let 
Now, we're looking at Herod, but I want to point to the larger enemy that Scripture talks about, that Satan is always looking to corrupt that truth that we carry inside of us. He wants to distort it. He wants to water it down to where it's really not effective. You want to follow Jesus? You can follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus and still follow yourself. We live in a culture that's constantly telling us, you are God, you make the rules. If it feels good to you, do it. If it feels good to you, it must be right. And for us as followers of Christ, we are holding this truth that said, no, I died to myself. What drives me is what Christ has said, what he's called me to. And this is a reality every single day. We continue to take up that truth. We don't put it down because it's not optional for us. I keep taking that truth again. And please know Satan is going to fight you. We look at Luke chapter 4, prime example. Now kind of dance around this, but Jesus, just been baptized. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The voice from heaven, the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Beautiful confirmation of who Jesus is. And the Spirit takes him into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. Jesus, God in flesh, is tempted. Satan wants to challenge that truth. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and then I will wrap up. And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are who you say you are, prove it. Perform a miracle to fill your own need. But look at Jesus' response. But Jesus answered saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Do you see Jesus holding on to God's word beyond his Uh, beyond and above his own needs. He was hungry, but he would not bow to the temptation of Satan. He holds on to that truth. It is written. He's pointing back to Deuteronomy. He's pointing back to the word of God, this truth. Why? Because God has initiated something in our existence. And that's the truth I'm going to hold on to. That's the truth we trust. It continues, and the devil 
taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, all this authority, I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. There he goes again. It is written. He keeps pointing back to God's word. Why? Because he treasures it. And that's his pursuit. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan will attack this truth. But this truth in all of its authenticity is the only thing that can fight him. You cannot fight Satan in your own ideologies. In your own good ideas. He's too smart. You need the one who defeated him. Which is why if we are treasuring his word, and that is our pursuit, that actually gives us ammunition to combat Satan and his lies. And in fact, if we're not treasuring God's word, we won't be able to identify the lie. We won't know the difference because if it sounds good, sounds wonderful, people like it, oh, that might be truth. Well, how do you test that? What are you basing that on? Your feelings? Your own good ideas? When we look at Christ's example, and the final one, Verse 9, then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. From Psalm 91. And Jesus answered and said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. After that, Satan left him. Here's an example of treasuring God's words, valuing God's word above our own perceptions of maybe what we might achieve, what we might get, even if it means I sacrifice something, something that I hold very dear to me. Do you and I value God's words that much? Because Satan will challenge it. If we are professing Christ, Satan is going to challenge that word. But how are we faithful to Christ? Every day, Lord, I'm pursuing you. I value your words above my own thoughts, my own desires. And you are, you are my pursuit And there's got to be a tenacity about this. There needs to be some fight in you. That I see the value of what Jesus has done so clearly. 
that I'm, I'm going to hold on to it and I'm not going to let it go. And when Satan's attacks come, it's this truth that I can use. When he comes spewing doubt and unbelief, especially in our culture, so much tragedy around us, we still grab that truth. No. God has God entered into our existence. Christ did not leave us alone. He still cares. He still is with us, as Pastor Peter talked about last week. He's still with us. I know I don't feel it sometimes. I know I don't understand everything that's happening to me right now. But that's when you dig in deeper. That's when you get anchored. When that storm comes, you get anchored in the truth of God's word. I'm not going to let it go. The waves are going to beat. They're going to beat. They're going to come. My encouragement to us today, when we think about how we will remain faithful to Christ, is first of all treasuring his faithfulness to us. You died, and so because you died, I died with you. And you are alive and well, which means I am joined with you. That means whatever temptation I'm dealing with, whatever struggle, whatever sin it is, because you are alive, I can overcome that. Not by my strength, but by yours. Do you get that? He is greater than that temptation. He is greater than that struggle. But we got to keep looking at that. See, if we spend all of our time looking at what, I, what I'm being challenged by, we won't overcome. We'll never overcome until you hold to what's greater. Maybe the challenge for you is, maybe, maybe you're challenged with doubt and fear and just afraid of the future. Then you take this truth that says he holds the world in his hands. He holds the future in his hands. Let that be your meditation this week. It's the pursuit. I'm going to, at this time, ask our ushers to come. I will pray for our offering. Lord Jesus, we come to you again and we thank you for your word. Lord, this is a challenging word. It's challenging for me to preach. But I believe it's a word from you. Not to condemn us, but to convict us and bring us closer. Jesus, you are calling us to be faithful to you. And the only way we can do that is if we are treasuring your truth, all of who you are. If you are our pursuit, which means we will sacrifice things for you. And we know, Lord Jesus, that when we do this, You have empowered us to overcome the challenges of the enemy. Lord, let us be changed by your word today. 
pray, Lord, even for our offering and our gifts. Lord, we give out of love and obedience to you. But we remember the greatest gift that you gave us. The love that you gave us and continue to give us. We hold it dear. We hold it close. And we refuse to let it go. Thank you for your people today. May our gifts give to your work today. In Jesus' name, amen.